What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Live.
your three copies of our worship music CDs. We have two worship music CDs. And if possible, we'll also try to send you uh, a songbook to where you can learn the songs as well. This particular, uh, these two songs, is in the New American Standard songbook that we use, which are songs that are taken directly from the scripture. And this first song is on page number one of New American Standard Songbook. And you can read this in the Bible in the book of 1 John. So because these come directly from the scripture. This is scripture to music. And I'm glad that the only people listening today are the true followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. I see people come into the room and out of the room. In the room, out of the room. In the room, out of the room. That's the way people are with Jesus Christ. They come to Jesus Christ and they leave Jesus Christ. They come to Jesus and they leave Jesus. And they come to his work and his ministry and what he is doing and then they leave. It happens all the time. All the time. Constantly. There are people coming to where God wants them to be to learn the word of God, to learn the truth, to serve him in the truth, and then they leave. Well, good riddance. I don't want you. If you are a hypocrite, claim to be saved and refuse to listen and stay in Jesus Christ and refuse to stay in the truth, then you was never part of us to begin with. Amen. God is not looking for hypocritical people, but rather he is looking for people who will serve him, willingly serve him in the spirit and in truth. Amen. So this page one song comes from the book of 1 John. So even if you don't have a songbook, you can read this song because this is a verse of the Bible put to music. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9. 1 John 1, verse 9.
this next song is Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 to 18. Ephesians 6, verse 13 to 18. Please open our eyes and our ears and our heart that we may receive 
your word into us and change us and change our lives even more that we will become totally surrendered to you. Please fill us up with your spirit and with your will. In Jesus' holy name, we ask for, Father, that your will prevail in these services and help people to give up their false doctrines and traditions of man and accept your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. We're going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 6 today. And for those that may be listening for the first time, we're reading from New American Standard Bible, but you're welcome to try to follow along in the King James Version. On our ministry website, isawthelightministries.com, there are a lot of articles, and one of those articles is the King James Version prepared to the New American Standard Bible. And that article there will give you some uh, information in the scriptures and the historical facts and comparisons side by side. And we'll let you know more about why we are reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now, we do not follow a religion or a denomination here in these services or in this ministry. We follow God. We read the scriptures. We pray. We seek him. We serve him. Not a religion of man. So a lot of the things that you hear in these services do not match with the traditional, denominational, religious doctrines of mankind. If you was born uh, and lived and was raised in China, chances are that you were raised as a Buddhist or an atheist. The same is true in, in, with the people that live in South Korea, and we do have people listening all across the world, over the phone and over the Internet. There's five or six different ways that people listen to these services. So some of you really understand what I'm saying already. If you live in South Korea, chances are you was born and raised as a Buddhist or atheist. If you was born and raised in India, Chances are you was born and raised, programmed, and mind-washed to be a Hindu. But if you was born in Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Iran, chances are most likely you was born and raised, programmed, and brainwashed to be a Muslim. But if you was born in the mountains of Tennessee or Kentucky, mountains or Appalachian region of the United States, chances are that you was probably raised, born, and programmed to be a Pentecostal or perhaps a Baptist. If he's born in the southern United States, outside of the Appalachians, you're most likely is born, raised, and programmed to be with the Baptist church and Baptist denomination. There are a lot of other religions and denominations in the South, but Baptist being the largest one. But if he was born up in New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and a lot of other places in the northern part of the United States, chances are, he was probably born and raised as a Catholic. But if he was born and raised in Utah, he was probably programmed to be Mormon. And so on, and so on, and so on. Does the Bible tell us that we should follow the traditions and religion and denominations and teachings of where we were born 
and of our parents over and above the scriptures? Absolutely not. The book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us to prove all things. Not just take for granted, not just believe your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, not just continue the tradition of your family, because what if your family had been part of a cult or a false religion like many of the different false religions that I named? You may love your parents and your family. You may love where you were born and even your culture. But that's not enough in serving God. God is seeking a people, looking for, searching for a people that are searching for him. Seek and you shall find. He is searching for a people who are going to want, and not just want to, but follow through with, obeying him, serving him, having a personal relationship with him. He doesn't want you to be part of a religion or denomination or tradition or custom of mankind, but rather a personal and true and sincere relationship with him himself. God is not a religion. God is not a denomination. He's not Baptist, Pentecostal, Catholic, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim. God is none of these things. He is God. And he is seeking a people who love him back because he loved us first. He's seeking a people that love him back. And he is our father. And if you honor, respect, your parents, you will obey them, and especially our Heavenly Father, that you will obey Him first. And how can you say that you know Him if you do not obey Him? If you do not follow His voice, how can you say that you know Him? Yet there are tons of people all across the world, and I have met a lot of them locally, that claim they know God, serve God, and will go to heaven, and that they are saved, that their salvation is eternal, and they will never lose their salvation, because they said one prayer 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 6 months ago, 20 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever the case may be, they said one prayer, and yet, they think they're saved even though they cuss left and right, do all kinds of drugs, live in all kinds of filth, do not keep the commandments of God, do not serve him, worship him, or talk about him, and do not want to seek him or his word or grow in understanding. They are stuck in a doctrine of man. A doctrine that teaches that you say one prayer, which is not even your own words, but just repeat after me, and you're saved for the rest of your life, and there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. That is a doctrine of man, a perfect example of people following religion over and above God. They don't serve God, but they think that they are saved. 
So today, as we go through a different topic, the topic is love never speaks harsh, question mark? Love never speaks harshly, question mark. As we go through these scriptures today, I ask that you give me time to read these scriptures with you and that you read these scriptures along with me in the Bible so that you know that I'm teaching you God's word and not a religion and doctrines of man. And some of the things that you will hear will challenge the doctrines that you were programmed and raised with. Amen. But again, I ask that you stay with the services, listen, and give me a chance to provide these scriptures. Because we don't follow one verse theology here. One verse theology, I just gave you a perfect example. Say one prayer, repeat somebody else's words, and you're saved for the rest of your life. And there's nothing you can do to lose that salvation. That's one verse theology. We don't follow one verse theology here. So we go through many, many, many scriptures. Because the Bible says here a little and there a little. Line upon line, precept upon precept. And that is the only way that you know for sure that you really understand what the Bible is really teaching. You must read the entire Bible. And if you've not read the entire Bible yet, I really encourage you to make that a goal and to start immediately. Because thinking that you understand the Bible without reading the whole thing, all of it, it's like walking into a three-hour movie in the middle of the movie and staying there for five or ten minutes and then leaving the movie or DVD, whatever, and thinking that you understand the entire movie. But that's the way religion of man is based. Even a lot of pastors and ministers and so-called teachers have not read the whole Bible, but yet they think that they know enough to teach it and preach it every week and to teach you the doctrines that their parents taught them, even though they have not read the whole Bible. We must read the whole Bible to understand it. Amen. So we're going to start in Matthew 6. And the subject today is love never speaks harsh, question mark, because a major belief of people in our time, our generation, is that Jesus never spoke harsh, that he never said a word that would offend or hurt or harm anyone. That is a theology, a belief of a lot of people. I've heard it out of people's mouths a lot in my life that Jesus never spoke a harsh word, that Jesus never said anything that would offend, and that we as Christians, as his followers, should not offend and should always speak very gently and kind and loving and patient and never rebuke or offend or delete or unfriend or disfellowship. But what does the Bible really teach about that? 
what does the Bible really teach about that? Matthew 6, verse 2, says, So when you give to the poor, these are the words of Jesus, so that when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, or verily, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now he's talking about religious people who go to church. It's talking about hypocrites that are in the synagogues and in the streets. So, and these are people that are blowing a trumpet before them that they are giving alms or praying, praying in verse 5, giving alms here in verse 1 and verse 2. He calls them hypocrites in verse 5 again. This is the words of Jesus. Words that a lot of Christians who think they are saved have never read these verses, and if they've read them, they don't remember them. Because here, two times in just these very few verses without reading the rest of Matthew, Jesus calls these religious people hypocrites. Now, I would say hypocrites is a pretty strong word. People do not like to hear that word. People don't like to hear that they are hypocrites. Jesus is talking about people, talking about people. Amen. But it's not gossip because that is different. But he is talking about religious people who are going to the church building. Is he or is he not? Am I telling the truth or am I lying? And these people that he's talking about, they do pray and go to church and give alms, but they're not saved. They are hypocrites. Amen? And immediately, somebody leaves the room. Amen. And so they leave the room because they don't like the truth. Amen. They leave the room because... How dare you say that some people go to church, pray, and give their alms, that they're not saved because the one verse theology and religion and denomination of man says that if you do believe in Jesus, if you do pray, if you do give your alms, that you are saved, that all you have to do is believe. That's all you have to do. That is the religion, theology of religion. But does the Bible really teach that? These people thought they were saved. They did. But they, Jesus himself called them hypocrites. Again, a very offensive word. Very offensive Look at chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Matthew 15, verse 7 says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. 
Now, in the previous verse, it was an example of Jesus talking about people, but in this verse, the context is Jesus speaking directly to them face-to-face, calling them hypocrites. Amen. Have you ever heard this preached anywhere? But it's in the Bible. Amen. Do the churches preach the Bible or do they teach what their mommy and daddy taught them? Amen. Jesus said, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people, and then he quotes Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips. Yep, I'm saved. I follow God. I know God. But their heart is far away from me. Amen. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or commandments of men. Amen. What are the churches teaching? Are they teaching that Jesus never spoke a harsh word? Or are they expounding upon the scriptures rightly? I think you know the answer to that question. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. Chapter 16, verse 3, and in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? Evil and adulterous generation. Evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and a sign will not be given them except for the sign of Jonas and he left them and went away. He called the generation even they themselves that were right in front of him evil and adulterous. He was talking to them and he was talking about them directly to their face. Using such offensive and harsh words as saying evil and adulterous to these hypocrites known in verse 1 as the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were the leaders of religion and not just the people that sit in the back of the church but the teachers and the leaders of the religions and denominations of their time. Look at chapter 22, verse 18. Matthew 22, verse 18. But Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? So again, not using one verse theology, but looking here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Jesus didn't say this one time. It wasn't just a one-time flare-up of righteous anger. But it was a regular routine way that he spoke. If you count the number of times it's written in the book of Matthew alone, the word hypocrites is written 14 times in one short book of the Bible, book of Matthew. Fourteen times the word hypocrites is used. And almost every time it is Jesus 
speaking. Verse 23, I mean chapter 23 and verse 13. Chapter 23, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, and so forth there. So you get the point there. But let's look at a different word, a different insult, a different harsh word that Jesus did use in John as well, John the Baptist. Let's look at chapter 12, Matthew 12, verse 33. Matthew 12, verse 33. 12:33. <clears throat> and keep your bookmark there because <clears throat> I'm going to go back to something else here for a minute. See, and find this. Okay, well, let's just go back to Matthew 12. Let's stick with Matthew 12 while we're there. Okay, Matthew 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. So it's basically saying there in a different mannerism, basically saying, don't be hypocrites. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. One or the other. Make your choice. Try and stop trying to sit on the fence. Stop trying to have it both ways. Stop trying to have a balance between the two. I know that some people have dealt with that just like I did when I was lost, trying to find a balance between the two. But you can't do it. You have to either serve good or evil, one or the other. It's not both. You can't sit on the fence, not very long, not forever. You eventually have to make your choice one way or the other. Stop being a hypocrite. In verse 34, you blood or brood of vipers. That saying snakes, you snakes. How offensive is that? He is calling these people to their face snakes. That theology says Jesus never spoke a harsh word or anything. Yeah. Yeah, these are poisonous snakes. So this ain't like calling them like a black snake or a garden snake. But he's saying they are poisonous snakes that 
destroy, that kill people. And that is true that the Pharisees and Sadducees would poison the people with their false doctrines. Now look at chapter 3 because a lot of people will say this. A lot of people say, but all the verses you've given so far are examples of Jesus using harsh words, that we're not Jesus. I hear that all the time. I heard it just last night. But I'm not Jesus and you're not Jesus. People use that as an excuse to not act like Jesus, to not speak like Jesus, because we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus, so we can't do the way he does. So chapter 3, verse 7, throws that excuse out the window. Chapter 3, verse 7, but when he saw, talking about John the baptizer, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he, John the baptizer, said to them, you brood of vipers, you poisonous snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So this ain't Jesus here, but it's a man of Jesus, a man of God, a true preacher, a true disciple, a true a follower of Jesus Christ and using words that offend, that insult, that are harsh. Now, does these scriptures prove that Jesus did not love or that John the baptizer did not love? Absolutely not, of course not. God is love. And John the Baptist loved the people so much that he warned them and spoke directly the truth to their faith. Sometimes truth hurts and truth offends. And, of course, Jesus loved the people that he gave his own life for us while we were still yet sinners, that he died for us to cleanse us from our sins and to give us of our sins if we accept him and live for him and follow him and obey him more than just believe that he's God. More than just say a prayer. More than just following religion. More than just praying. More than just going to church. More than just giving alms. But 100% surrender to him. Marrying your soul to Jesus Christ is what it's about. And that word believe in John 3.16 even the devils believe, the book of James says. We've got to get rid of the one-verse theology. Even the devils, even the demons, believe and tremble. A lot of wicked and lost people in this world believe that Jesus is God, that they are saved, they go to church or might not go to church, but they believe that Jesus is their Savior and they accept Jesus as their Savior, but they do not follow him nor live for him, and they are not saved. So that word believe in John 3.16, in that context, and with compared with many other verses in the entire Bible, actually means to marry your soul. Because my wife knows sign language, and the sign language for believe is the sign of what? Your mind and marriage. So it's the sign language with your hands, for believe is the two symbols, the symbols for marriage and your mind. To believe in Jesus, really believe the salvational belief 
not just a mere belief that you're alive or that God's alive and that he's God, for even the devils know that and believe that, but the true salvational belief is to marry your soul, to actually be there at the marriage supper, to be engaged to Jesus, to be sworn to Jesus as his bride, that you're not going to commit adultery. He said it's evil and adulterous generation. They believed in God and they believed in one God and they believed in church so much that they were the leaders of religion. But they are not going to be at the marriage supper because they didn't follow Jesus in the spirit of the law. They knew the Bible and the letter of the law, but they didn't know the Spirit of God, and they didn't follow the Spirit of God. Amen. God is seeking a people who will follow them, Him, 100%. Not just words. Not with people, not people that just honor Him with their lips, say I'm saved and I believe in God, but a people who will marry him. And that's much more than just saying one prayer. It's living with him 24-7. You can date. See, they just want to date Jesus. Amen? People just want to date Jesus and love him in word and see him once a week, an occasional phone call, in the, in the times of distress. Even a drunk will call up his girlfriend in a time of distress. But God is looking for a people who will live with him 24-7 and marry him and be faithful to him and trust him for protection and leadership and teaching and growth. Amen. God is not looking for a one-night stand of one prayer and then believing for the rest of your life that your salvation is eternal. John the baptizer spoke bold words. And the fact is that in this evil and adulterous generation that we live in today, we don't need Joel Osteen preachers we need the gospel, gospel to be unfiltered, unwatered down. We need the truth of the scriptures spoke boldly more today than at any other time in all of human history. And the closer and the closer that the day comes to the appearance of Jesus Christ and to the end of this generation, the more bold that the gospel must be preached because people need to be shaken up out of their comfort zone. We've got enough Joel Olstein preachers of a watered-down, weak gospel. We've got enough money and gold and silver prosperity preachers of money, hirelings. We've got too many of these. We need the unfiltered, uncompromised Word of God. And we don't need religion. We need God. We should 
get to a point in our personal relationship with God that we throw the religion out the window and the churches of men and the denominations of men out the window and in the trash can where they belong and start following God and know him personally. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 12. And a, a shout out to Sister Kiki in Australia. Good to see you uh, listening today. I believe on your computer or over your phone. Appreciate Sister Kiki and Brother Johnny in San Diego as well, and Lisa up in New York State, and AJ, and hopefully Aiden, Mrs. Men over in South Korea. Appreciate my true brothers, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. In Mark 11, verse 12, it says, On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. This is Jesus. Jesus. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever Eat fruit from you again, ever. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He cursed that fig tree, and the disciples were listening. Amen. Praise God. Well, I love that last part, the disciples were listening. But it's important to understand that even though it was not the season, for figs, this fig tree had leaves on it. And the thing about a fig tree is, if there's leaves on it, there's supposed to be figs as well. It's not like other trees that the leaves come first and then the fruit much later on. But rather with fig trees, the figs grow initially right there at the same time as the leaves. If the leaves are there, then the figs are there. But this tree was a hypocrite. This tree had a first glance appearance. Oh, there's leaves. There should be food on it. But it was not 100%. It was a hypocrite. Just like the Pharisees were whitewashed on the outside, but inside they were empty, dark tombs of death. Amen. And did Jesus say to the tree, I love you and you might bear fruit next season or later in this season. I will have patience with you and, and check back with you next month. Nope. Instead, Jesus said, never again will any eat from you. He cursed that tree, which was a symbol of hypocrites being cursed. Amen. 
not enough to just say you believe. It's not enough just to go to church and put on the appearance and just put on your, your tie and button your shirt all the way up. It's not enough to just put on the appearance. God is looking for sincerity. Amen. Now the disciples were listening. So let those that have ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We've got to get rid of this theology of modern society, of the religion as man, that says that you must always, 100%, in every case, in every situation, without exception, always, always, without exception, be patient, kind, gentle, never offend, never use a bold word, never use a harsh word, never say anything to anybody or about anybody. Now, I understand the Bible does teach patience, love, long-suffering. Amen. Praise God for all of that. But there is also a time to rebuke, to curse, to disfellowship, to unfriend, to delete, and to block. The Bible teaches that as well. Enough with this one-verse theology. Enough with this one-sided doctrine. Amen. The Bible is clear that we are to disfellowship from the darkness. What does what what fellowship does light have? of darkness. What fellowship? Amen. And let's look at John chapter 2. Look at John chapter 2, verse 13. John 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of people will twist that and distort that to say that this proves that the Passover is only for the Jews. Well, to say that would be inserting a word that it does not say. It doesn't say only does it? Does it say only or does it not say only? That's a very simple question. It does not say only. The fact is that every time that John used that phrase of the Passover of the Jews or the Feast of the Jews, that the context and the Greek wording refers to a location of worship services. And in every case, the context is somebody going to the temple or going to the synagogue, going to worship in that location. It would be nothing different from saying that uh, people going to Thanksgiving or whatever in Chicago or in Michigan of the Chicagoans or the Michigans or the Tennesseans or the Floridians 
He's talking about locational services. The fact is, Jesus himself kept Passover and instructed us to take the communion of the unleavened bread and the wine on that day to commemorate his death, not just until he died. How can you do that? The people were teaching that Passover ended when Jesus died or Passover ended when Paul died. A lot of people were teaching these things. But Passover to the New Covenant Christian is a reminder of his death after his death, after the cross, after the crucifixion, after he went back to heaven, that even Paul said, let us keep this feast. Paul, who was a New Covenant preacher, who constantly preached hard against Old Covenant things and legalism of the law, Paul, the New Covenant preacher who wrote most of the New Testament, said, let us keep this feast. But yet, Modern religion programming brainwashing of man, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do the communion. You don't have to keep Passover. You don't have to drink the bread and the unleavened bread and the, and the wine. You don't have to do the foot washing. Because all that done away with, just rip it out of your Bible. That's the programming of man. So let's continue here. And in verse 14, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables. And today society would find DVDs, Christian movies, and gospel music CDs. And verse 15, and he made a scourge of cords, meaning a whip, and drove them out of the temple, out of the church building. The temple was the church building, the main church building, the headquarters of the, of the synagogues of the tongue, and the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins and the money and the coin, money changers and overturned the tables. Can you imagine this madman with a whip, whipping at the people, whipping at the animals, overthrowing the tables and throwing the money on the floor and driving the people out of the church building and out of the headquarters of the church? Madman. Yep. Jesus got very, very angry. Oh, but Jesus would never do that. Oh, but a true follower of Jesus would never do that. Oh, but a Christian would never do anything to offend or do anything harshly or bold or warrior or or war like. Jesus understood that sometimes it's okay to have righteous anger. Amen. God gets angry, does he not? But every time that somebody gets righteously angered, people say, that's of the devil. I hear it constantly. I got angry, I let the devil get to me. Well, if it's righteous anger, it's not the devil. Stop giving credit to the devil for your righteous anger. Amen. God gets angry. God gets angry because of the works of the devil. 
I believe as true followers of Jesus Christ that the people in this time and generation needs to start getting some anger to them, some righteous anger against the works of the devil. And I believe that it's time that we put on the full armor of God. But what good is an armor that you refuse to use? And a lot of people think the armor of God is only defensive, only to protect you, only a shield, only an armor, only a helmet that do not fight back. But they forget that part of the armor of God in Ephesians is the sword, the word of God. And what good is the sword if you will not use it? Not only defensively, but offensively. The Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Not just to coexist with false religions. Not just to coexist with homosexuality and every evil thing in this world. But to destroy the works of the devil. Now Jesus is seated in heaven, and now we are the body of Christ. We are now the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears and the body of Christ. Oh, but I'm not Jesus. Are you not the body of Christ, or are you not the body of Christ? And greater works shall you do. Amen. Greater works shall you do. I believe God is not only looking for people who will serve him in spirit and truth, but will serve him in the capacity of a warrior as part of the army of God. In fact, if you think that you're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, guess what comes after that? And this is never taught. But after the marriage supper is over, they won't just simply only be dancing, but there will be a war. And if you are part of that marriage supper, you are going to be instructed to fight. And you will come down, Revelation 19, that you will come down out of heaven, seated on white horses as part of the army of God. Zechariah 14 and Revelation 19. And... That will be on the day of the battle of Armageddon. It's not only Jesus coming back on the day of battle of Armageddon, but also his army following Jesus, the followers of Jesus, the bride of Jesus, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish by then, will be warriors, part of the army. And what good if you are part of an army if you are a conscientious objector? who refuses to fight, refuses to lift up the sword part of the word of God, of the armor of God, and refuse to speak for it because it's with his mouth that he will slay the wicked. Look at Isaiah, Zechariah 14, and Revelation 14. It's with his mouth that he will slay the Antichrist. It's with his mouth, the word of God. Even with the two witnesses in Revelation 11, it's with their mouth and the sword of God coming out of their mouth that would devour their enemies and their enemies of the two witnesses will fall dead by the speech of these two Christian men, the two witnesses. 
Will the two witnesses who were witnessed three and a half years in Jerusalem always be patient, always be kind, always be long-suffering? Or will they breathe the fire of the Holy Ghost out of their mouth and slay the wicked right in front of them and die? What is the truth? Have you ever heard this preached ever in your life? Will the two witnesses only say, I love you and I will be kind and I will be patient with you and I will be long-suffering with you and I will wait and I will teach you and I will continue and continue and continue to wait and pray and fast for your salvation and deliverance because you come against me and you smite me and you wage war against me, but I will not say a word back in offense. I will not rebuke you. I will not disfellowship from you. Will that be their attitude? Or will the attitude of the two witnesses, two very, very humble men who know the word of God and are true servants of God and true prophets of God and leaders of the church in the end time, great tribulation, will they speak forth very bold words like fire that comes out of their mouth and consume their enemies and kill their enemies literally with the sword of God, with the mouth of their bold speech? What is the truth? What is the truth of these matters? And here in John 2, it says, verse 16, John 2, verse 16, And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away and stop making my father's house a place of business. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, meaning passion, for your house will consume me. I think God is looking for people who have zeal, who have a passion, a passion, not just couch potato Christians, not just fans that wave from a distance, but people with passion, a passion that consumes them, a passion that fills their soul and cannot be shut up. Jeremiah said the words of God were like fire shut up in his bones and he could not contain it. He just had to vent the word of God. And the Bible says, what is it, Jeremiah, maybe 15, that, that, uh, that God gave Jeremiah the very same ability as the two witnesses to be far out of his mouth to slay the wicked. No, it's Jeremiah 5, 14. Jeremiah 5, 14 talks about that. And that far is not literal. That far is symbolic. That far is the word of God, not only represented by a sword, but also by fire. It's the word of God. It's the power of the Holy Ghost coming forth out of our mouth. Now, yes, I know. But the Bible also says that we should bless our enemy and curse not. But again, one verse theology. You have to look at all the Bible, every verse of the Bible, here little, there little, line upon line, precept upon precept. There is a time to bless and not curse, but there is also a time of war. There is also a time of rebuke. There is also a time of disfellowship. There is a time when people need to hear face-to-face that they are a hypocrite. They need to hear it, some people. Not every person. 
I believe in patience and long-suffering and loving and kindness and patience, but there's a time also for rebuke. There's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for this and a time for that, a time for peace and a time for war. Amen. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will give us discernment which way to go in each particular situation. As we grow and grow and grow and grow and become more and more and more mature in Jesus Christ and more and receive more of his spirit and he leads us more and teaches us more and we come out of Babylon more and we come out of the world more and make ourselves separate and touch not the unclean, then the more that we are gaining discernment about when to be gentle and kind and patient and long-suffering and we enter this fellowship, and we enter rebuke. We will learn that, and it will come more and more with time. Now look at the book of 2 John, verse 7. The book of 2 John, which is only one chapter long. It's right there, real close to the book of Revelation, which is a few pages before Revelation. The book of 2 John. Book of 2 John, verse 7. 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers, many, not just a few, not just a few, but many. Look at the whole world. All the religion, all the teachers, all the churches, the whole world is filled, filled with false teachers, deceptions, and false religions of man. Filled with it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Now, what is this? Think about that for a minute because even the Muslims believe that Jesus was a real man, but they don't believe he was the Son of God and they don't believe he was God in the flesh. They just believe he was a man or just a prophet and nothing more. And the same thing with Jehovah Witnesses. That the Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus was God. But they realize he came in the flesh. And so the same is true with most religions and most people in the world, except for some atheists. But even some atheists believe that he was that he existed as at least a man. So it's not really talking about that these deceivers uh, don't believe that Jesus existed as a man. It's not talking about that. It's talking about people who are deceived that think that Jesus was not God. Because notice the expression, coming in the flesh. You have to compare Scripture with Scripture, here little and there little. And so if you look at John 1, it talks about the Word of God coming in the flesh. And the Bible talks about, in another verse, says that the Word became flesh. Actually, that's in John 1. But then there's another verse that says, uh, there's even another verse outside of John 1 also says that God was manifested in the flesh. And if you don't understand this or believe this, that Jesus was God, then I encourage you to look at the Scriptures more. Take your time. 
Forget what man has taught you. Forget what you read on some website. Forget what some preacher taught you. And spend time reading the Bible in fasting. In fasting. Because some things only come by prayer and fasting. Because, see, even the lost read the Bible. I know people that's read the Bible seven times. The whole Bible, every word of the Bible seven times. But they're lost. So the thing about understanding the Bible is you must do more than read it. God is looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not enough just to be in spirit alone. It's not enough just to be in truth alone. I know a lot of people that accept the truth, but they're lost. I know people that's read the Bible seven times, but they're lost. I know people that go to church and claim they're saved, but they're lost. I know people that wear the cross, but they're lost. The thing is, you need to seek God diligently with all your soul. He is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He's looking for people that will worship him with all of their heart, with all of their mind, with all of their soul. He's not looking for a one-knee Tim Tebow that stands out in the middle of the crowd in front of the TV cameras that, that he may be seen of all men and, and get all the praise of all the Christians worldwide uh, worshiping and praising and honoring Tim Tebow. Look at him. He's not afraid to pray in public. He's a great Christian. The Bible says go and pray in the secret place in the closet and do not be like the hypocrites praying in the streets that they may be seen of men. He is not looking for one-knee Christian in front of the camera. He's looking for both knees in your private closet when there's nobody looking, when there's nobody listening or watching except for him, that God is your audience and not man. He's looking for a people that will get down on both knees and serve him with all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul. He's looking for people that will ask and seek and hunger for more of his spirit and have an intimate relationship with him and not religion. Amen. Praise God. And the closer and the closer and the closer that the day comes to his appearance, the more we need to get serious about testing and examining what we believe and why we believe. Are we following mommy and daddy's theology or are we following the Bible? It's not enough just to read it. We must seek his spirit because without his spirit it's impossible. The Bible says that it is impossible to understand the spiritual things without the spirit of God. So you can pray all you want, but you've got to have the spirit God says pray in the spirit. He doesn't want vain repetitions. He wants you to seek him because God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do you do this? You fast. You ask that you may receive. You ask, Lord, I want more of you. Please fill me up. And go from there with your own words. I'm not going to give you all the words. And it has to come from a sincerity of heart. And not repeat after me. It has to come from your own heart and a true desire to serve him. 
this repeat after me, prayer, useless. God's looking for people who surrender their heart. Amen. So this verse 7 talks about people that are deceived, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Muslims and many others that do not recognize and acknowledge, do not proclaim, do not accept, do not accept and, pro- and proclaim and acknowledge Jesus Christ as God coming in the flesh. Because you have to compare that verse with John and Colossians and all the other scriptures in all of the entire Bible to understand what it means. It's talking about recognizing Jesus as God, as the Word of God coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist, those Jehovah Witnesses. Is that offensive? It may be offensive, but it's the truth. Amen. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Be careful. There are people that are deceiving people. And they come as a trap to you. And they can write eloquently, speak eloquently, and very convincing, and use scriptures. Satan used scriptures against Jesus, and Jesus came back with the sword of scriptures as well. Amen. Satan knows scripture. The Jehovah Witnesses know scripture, but they twist it and distort it to teach their own religion of man instead of proclaiming Jesus as God. Now, if you're not sure about this, not only do I encourage you to fast and to pray and to read the Bible, but I also would recommend a particular article on our ministry website, I Saw the Light Ministries. I Saw the Light Ministries.com. There's an article about who is God. Is, is Jesus a prophet? Is Jesus only a man, only a prophet, or is he God? Is he the Father? Is he the Almighty? And the only thing that article does is only, for the most part, only give you the scriptures. Just the scriptures. For the most part, the majority of it. And what could be wrong with that now? And the direct address is isawthelightministries.com slash jesusislord.html I'll be back with you in a second. Okay. Now, it says in verse 8, watch yourselves. That means you're in danger. Be careful. Watch that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Well, that goes against a lot of theology of men because they're teaching out there that you don't have to be careful. That you don't have to watch yourself. All you got to do is say one prayer and then sit in the couch for the rest of your life. And no matter what you do or what you don't do, they say you don't have to do anything or not do anything. All you got to do is say that one prayer and that's it. But this goes against that, that you do have to be careful about what you do and don't do, and that it is possible to lose your reward. And there's a lot of verses that teach that. John 15 is one of them. And lots of other verses 
2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Peter 2 and verse 22 teaches that, that you can lose your salvation. You can. Read the whole Bible, people. And look at verse 9. Anyone that goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. When it talks about they, uh, they do not abide in the teaching of Christ, you've got to consider the whole context that not only is it talking about correct doctrine about A, B, and C, but also correct doctrine that Jesus is God. If they do not abide in the doctrine that God, that Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among men, if they do not abide in that doctrine of Christ, that Jesus is God, they don't have God. So you've got to be careful who you call your brother and your sister. Because not every person who is on your friends list, not every one of those people are your true brothers and your sisters. Many of them have an appearance of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Amen. The Bible says that you should forsake those people, that you should restrain from those people, that you should flee from those people. A lot of people have an appearance of godliness. And they, some of those people may even be the type that will absolutely refuse to rebuke, absolutely refuse to offend, absolutely refuse to disfellowship you. And so they may seem so pious and holy and saintly. But if they deny that Jesus is God, then they deny the power of the earth. Amen. Then you are not to bless them. They are not your brothers and your sisters. And they don't fall in the category of bless and curse not. Because you have to read what this verse says. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching that Jesus is God, do not receive him in your house. Do not receive him in your house. And do not give him a blessing or a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting or a blessing propitiates in his evil deeds. So we are not to allow a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim or anyone that has come to our doorstep to try to deceive us that Jesus is not God. That people would say, but it would be offensive to not welcome them in. Or it would be offensive to not give them a blessing. Or it would be offensive to not be kind and gentle with them. But the truth is that truth hurts and truth offends. And there is such a thing as a righteous anger and a righteous rebuke. And these people, you've got to understand that they are snakes. They are vipers and they are hypocrites and they are not saved and they're not your brothers and they're not your sister, but rather they are Satan standing on your doorstep, workers of Satan, knocking on your door, trying to creep into your heart, trying to creep into your doctrine, trying to creep into your life. They have come to steal, kill, and destroy. This is not the type of enemy that Jesus said to bless and not curse. Because this verse says, do not bless them and do not receive them into your house. Because even if you bless them, 
you are partaking of their sins. And let's make for sure I'm not going by one verse theology myself and look at another verse, Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 12. Matthew 10, verse 12. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting or your blessing. Now this is in the context of Jesus instructing the disciples how to evangelize. The context is these disciples were going to go looking for people to preach to, to witness to. And it said that when you come to a house, at first, give it your blessing, give it your greeting. And if the house, not in every case, the only if, if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back. Take back. Yeah, God does take back what he gives us. I've seen it over and over and over. But religion of man says that God will not take back what he has given you, that you can't lose it. But here, not only does God do it, but he tells his disciples, his evangelists and his true people to take back their blessings from these people who refuse the true word of God. Take back your blessing of peace. Verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Now you got to understand that at that day and at that time in the Middle East and even to this very day in parts of the Middle East, that shaking the dust off your feet is one of the greatest insults. Great insults. Big, huge, humongous insult, extremely offensive. It wasn't just a simple insult. It's extremely offensive for somebody to do that. Does this say that if they don't believe and they don't accept your words, that in every case, without exception, that you should be long-suffering, kind, and patient. Never give up on that person, but keep praying and keep fasting and keep using all your energy and all your strength and just keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. Now, I understand there is a time for that. I understand that God may lead individual people at certain times and certain places to continue to pray and fast and seek the salvation of a certain person and you'll keep witnessing and you'll keep witnessing. I understand there's times for that. But we also must look at all the Bible that there's also times that to witness and keep witnessing and keep witnessing to certain people is going to be literally, honestly, honestly, a waste of your time and your energy and it's going to drain you 
pull you down. Some people, regardless of how much you love them, regardless of how much time, how much patience, how much love, how much gentleness, they are not going to accept God. They're not going to accept the truth. They're not going to accept true doctrine because they are so stubborn, hard-headed, and they are unshakable from their darkness. And there's a lot of those people. I would say that there's more of those people right now in this evil and adulterous generation that we're living in now than what there is of the people who are willing to receive the truth. I would even honestly say that it's extremely, extremely rare to find a person on this planet in this evil and dark time that we're living in who accept the truth. Because the fact is that people in these religions of man are so totally brainwashed that even when you present them with undeniable truth, Titi is my witness. Johnny is my witness. Lisa is my witness. My wife, Brittany, is my witness. But even, regardless if you requesting that they read the whole article, that they read these scriptures, that they fast, that they pray, that they seek God, they will totally, totally refuse to accept the truth. They won't even consider it, not even for a second. It won't even come into their mind or their heart for them to even give it a chance to learn the truth. They deny not only your word, but God's word. Because when you're preaching the truth or witnessing the truth to somebody, it's not just your words. It is the word of God that you're trying to minister to that person. And it's not you that they are rejecting, but God that they are rejecting. And his word and his truth and his spirit and his love that they are rejecting. And that's why Jesus in this verse says here in verse 14, whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. In one way, that's referring to the foreshadowing and symbolism of Malachi 4, where the wicked shall be ash under the soles of your feet. After the great white throne judgment that the, the religions of man and denominations and churches of man don't teach you anything about the great white throne judgment. And they don't teach you about the ash that the wicked should be turned into ashes and consume away into smoke, direct quote of the Bible, Psalm 37. That the wicked shall consume away into smoke and be no more. Churches don't tell you that verse. They won't preach it. They won't read it because it is totally contradictory, totally contradictory to their denominational, traditional, religious doctrines of man. Verse 15, truly I say to you that it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah 
in the day of judgment, talking about the great white throne judgment, on that day, God is going to be more tolerable to those homosexuals in Sodom and Galora than what he is going to be to these people who have rejected the truth of God that has been ministered by Kiki and Johnny and Brittany and others. How is that possible? Because that contradicts the traditional, denominational, religious, religious doctrines of man. It does, if you think about it. On that day of judgment, when people will be turned to dust and ashes, consuming the smoke and be no more, Psalm 37 and Malachi 4, that there's going to be a difference in the judgment between different sinners. There's a sin unto death and not a sin unto death, Paul said. Another verse that you've never heard, never heard preached in the churches because it goes contradictory to their denominational doctrines. Bye-bye, person that just left the room because they don't like the truth. If it even starts to become uncomfortable, if, 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 if what I say and the truth and the scripture of this verse even starts to raise a red flag of, wait a minute, he is hinting about a doctrine that does not agree with what I already believe. It's like, goodbye, I don't want to hear this, because they don't want to be challenged about what they believe and why they believe. They rather just continue to follow mommy and daddy's doctrines from their childhood. In verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So here again, now Jesus is calling people dogs, wolves, poisonous snakes, vipers, and hypocrites. Is this not true? Boy, are we talking about the same Jesus? Are we talking about the same Jesus they preach in the Baptist church? Are we talking about the same Jesus that Pope Francis talks about? The Jesus that took whips after the people overthrew the tables in the temple and called people dogs and wolves and vipers and hypocrites. Is that the same Jesus that you're taught in your church? So I'm going to send you out, he says, as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd or wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, King James in that verse says harmless as doves, I think. But if you look at the Greek of what Matthew actually wrote, because Matthew didn't write English. He didn't write English. And the King James Bible didn't exist in the first century during Matthew's life. And the King James Bible didn't exist in the 2nd century, in the 3rd century, in the 4th century, in the 5th, in the 6th, and the 7th, and the 8th, and all the way up to 1611. Until then, 1611, the King James Version did not exist. 
So when Matthew wrote this verse, which was a quotation of Jesus Christ, the Greek translation is most accurately as that you are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, not harmless. Because the fact is, there's a difference between being harmless and innocent. We are to be innocent. But there are times that we are not to be harmless because we too were sent to destroy the works of the devil. We are. We are sent to destroy the works of the devil. In Old Testament times, God instructed the people, and some people even did it without direct command, to go out and overthrow the altars of the pagan false gods of the demons. People today, they won't do anything. They won't lift a muscle. They won't lift a finger if God doesn't directly command it. If they don't see lightning and thunder, they won't do it. But there are some examples in the Bible where without lightning and thunder, without a direct command, people had a passion and a zeal to overthrow the tables of the altars of the pagan gods. And because the Christians are too tired to do this, because the Christians are too weak to do this, because the Christians are too afraid to do this, God has raised up the wicked army of ISIS to overthrow the pagan altars in Syria. I understand ISIS is evil. I understand ISIS is extremely, extremely evil. I do not like ISIS. I do not promote ISIS. But we can't deny the fact that God can use anything and anybody. And if Christians won't do the work, then God will use even the works of the devil to get it accomplished, to destroy the altars of the devil. And ISIS has destroyed many, many, many altars of the devil in Syria. You know why? Because Christians would rather to sit on the couch and be afraid to move a muscle. Because they believe that Christians would never do anything harsh or radical. The Christians should only pray, only pray, only pray. But don't do nothing else about the reality in this world. But I say this to you, that this time of being couch potato Christians is about over with. Because the truth is, in the great tribulation, God is going to raise up an army. Amen. God is going to raise up an army. And people will once again the true followers of Jesus Christ will once again get some boldness to themselves, some zeal, some passion, some righteous anger, and overthrow the altars of 
these pagan demons here in the United States. And it says here in verse 17, But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues. But did Jesus say, don't do anything, don't say anything to get you thrown in jail? No, Jesus didn't say that. He said basically that because of your actions, because of your words, because of your preaching, because of what you teach that go contrary to their religion and their doctrines, you are going to end up in jail. You are going to end up in jail. In the great tribulation coming, Christians, both false and true, will end up in jail in the great tribulation. I know that for some of you listening now, that you have been taught by man, man's denominations and religions, that you're not going to be here in the Great Tribulation, that you're going to be raptured out before it comes, that you're not going to have to worry about the Antichrist, you won't see the Antichrist, and you'll never have to worry about the mark of the beast. But the reality is that people are already being beheaded in the nation of Syria for refusing to call the president of Syria God above all gods, even above Allah. I know this to be a fact. It's not something I read on the Internet. It came from a person that has family that still lives in Syria. So I think she knows what she's talking about then, that people in Syria are being beheaded already for refusing to say that Assad is God above all gods, even above Allah. And his soldiers are forcing people to say that. And if they refuse to say it, they are being being beheaded. Now, there's a lot of dictators on this earth and cult people, cult leaders and cult members that say this person is God and that person is God and that person is Jesus and that person is Jesus. But none of those groups And none of those other dictators are beheading people for for refusing to say that they are God above all gods, even above all. No other dictator on earth is doing this. No other cult on earth is doing this. The fact of Scripture is that the Bible describes five different groups of Christians. Not just one, not just two, not just three, but five different groups of Christians that will be here for the great tribulation. And the Bible promises that there will be people, true Christians, true followers of Jesus Christ, people that refuse the mark of the beast, refuse to worship the Antichrist, who will be beheaded. Is that in the Bible or is it not? Is that in the Bible? Revelation, what is it, 20? Yeah, Revelation 20. That talks about the people who did not take the mark of the beast in the great tribulation, but they 
will be beheaded. I would say that these are saints, and the Bible calls them saints, and the Bible describes them as righteous, and the Bible uh, describes them as being in heaven after that. These are true followers of Jesus Christ, true followers of Jesus Christ, who gave their life for Jesus in the Great Tribulation. Gave their life, literally, for Jesus Christ. In the great tribulation. But that goes totally contrary to what the religions of man teach. How can that be? Well, I choose to believe the Bible and not the religions of man. Verse 17, but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. That means even in the churches, if we put it in the spirit of the law, not only the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, speaking to us because we want the spirit to be able to speak to us today. And this day and this time, and Matthew was not written only for the people in Matthew's lifetime, up to 70 A.D., the Bible, even the New Testament, was not written just for Matthew's lifetime, only up to 70 A.D., but for us today, today, in this time and generation, more so for us in this day and time and generation, the last generation, more for us than it was to them or to any other time in human history. This is written for us. And we put it in the spirit of the law. And, and he that have ears, let them understand and hear what the spirit says to the church. This says to the spirit in me, this says that they will scourge you in these churches. They will scourge you in the Baptist church. They will scourge you in the Catholic church. They will scourge you in the Pentecostal church. I've seen it. Maybe not with whips. Not, maybe not with blood. But even myself, when I used to go to those Babylonian churches, that a pastor that I loved deeply, a pastor that I honored and respected and obeyed, a pastor that I truly, truly, passionately loved, right in front of everybody in the church, threatened to have himself at the deacons pick me up and carry me out of the church. Why? Because I, at an invitation for anybody to speak what the Lord was saying, stood up and proclaimed what Jesus was saying. Yes, they will scourge you in these churches. People have got to understand. Brother Jason, if you are listening, you've got to understand that as much as you love these people, they will not accept the word of God. Because they honor the Lord with their lips and they have an appearance of godliness, but their heart is far from them. Heart, their heart is far from God. They will not accept your word because they will not accept God's word. So if you're going to address the people of the church, be ready to be scourged. Be ready to be arrested. Be ready 
not that you should not do these things. But you also got to have the reality of the expectation that there's a 99.99% chance that they will not embrace the truth. And you must go into this thing with a real realistic expectation. And so I say that to everyone because you are going to have to live during the Great Tribulation. And you are, you need to start getting your mind and emotions and spirit ready to face persecution and the hate of the world. Because the fact is, the closer and the closer you draw to God in the truth and in spirit, the more that the world will hate you and despise you And that's the truth. You will lose your family. You will lose your husband. You will lose your wife. You will lose your children. You will lose the love of men if you are trying to be a pleaser of God and not of men. If you are trying to serve and obey God and not man's doctrines, you will lose the support and love of your family and your friends and everybody that you know. And you will be alone. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God that somebody told me last night that I'm alone. I thank God because I know I'm not alone. Jesus is with me. But if all men forsake me and if all my disciples flee from my side at the midnight hour when they come, to arrest if it happened to my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Praise God. In verse 18, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak but it's the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will portray brother to death, and a father his child. This is going to happen in your neighborhood, in your family. It's going to happen. You better start getting your mind prepared for it. We are not to seek to always and always and always without exception, without exception, never disfellowship. We're not to seek that. We've got to accept the reality that we are going to have to disfellowship from people and that even our own families will come against us if we dare to embrace God. And the Bible says that we've got to count the cost, that we need to count the cost because True servitude to God, true surrender, 100% surrender to God is dangerous. And we will lose our family and our friends. And the closer to God, the less family and friends you will have. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child and children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated. You will be hated. You might as well face that fact. 
he will be hated by all because of my name. We see this happening with Donald Trump. Whether you agree, whether you don't agree, the fact is that regardless of the sins and downfalls and weaknesses and problems of Donald Trump, I do not agree with everything he says. I don't agree with everything. I think he lacks some wisdom and some discernment. But at the same time, the fact is, the reality is, God, according to the Bible, not my opinion, according to the Bible, there is no power on this earth that is not of God. That all the kings and the governors of this earth were appointed by God. Even Obama, even Nebuchadnezzar, even the president of Syria, even the president of Iran and Russia and China, both good and bad on this earth. God is in control, and there is no power on this earth that is not come from God. God appoints war and who wins war, who will be governor, who will be president. God decides these things, decides these things. And God appointed Obama for those eight years of extreme, radical, extreme darkness and evil to take over America and the world. And we see that after eight years of that extreme darkness that has now enslaved mankind all over the earth, not just America, with homosexuality, Islam, and all kinds of filth, abortion and everything else, all kinds of filth was magnified a million times under the Obama administration. That's the truth of God. So so Jesus is my God and my witness of this fact. And now, God brings in Trump. And even with his downfalls, even with his faults, by comparison to Obama, Trump is a light. Trump is a light that God has now shined on the world to expose the darkness. And this confliction of darkness, and then all of a sudden this light comes in unexpectedly, like in the middle of the night, unexpectedly at 3 o'clock in the morning, the light comes on. There's going to be war because the Democrats, these Democrats, do not like this. And they are waging war against Christians, against you, against me, against life, against innocent babies. These Democrats love to murder innocent, unborn babies. And it doesn't matter to them if that baby is due to be born today. They will stick their fist up there with a knife and kill it. And that's the God, the honest truth, and God be my witness. They are evil to the core. And there's no light in them. Total, extreme, radical darkness. God is shining a light not to bring peace to the earth. Not to bring peace immediately to the earth, that is. Not to bring peace to America and not to bless America because America has not repented. So why would God bless America? America has not repented. Even the church has not repented. God has brought this light 
to bring a manifestation of an increase in war. Now they claim that this wall that Trump is going to build or planning to build on the border between Mexico and America, the demon crabs claim that that is hate. It's very offensive to them. They claim it's hate. But the truth is that it is love for the American people. It is enforcing the law that has been on the books for decades. And Trump is not stopping immigration. The demons are full of lies and nothing but lies. He is not stopping immigration. What he is doing is stopping illegal immigration. If you file for the appropriate paperwork, fill out that paperwork, file that paperwork, and have the legal credentials, whatever the law says that you must pass through to pass through that border legally, that's not stopping unless that you come from a location that has been proven to be the location of radical, extreme darkness and evil of terrorists who are trying to come into this nation, trying to invade this nation through legal immigration. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with stopping illegal immigration? What's wrong with trying to get the people to go the legal route? What's wrong with stopping an invasion of Russian and Chinese and Iranians and Syrians from crossing the border? We know for a fact, for a fact, that thousands upon thousands of Russian and Chinese infiltrators and ISIS infiltrators and, and uh, Syrians and people from all nations have crossed the Mexican border illegally, and they're doing the same thing through the legal channel, through immigration, from Syria and Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and so forth, to bring not just a random terror attack in this nation, but rather to come in as sleeper cells. And at a certain time in the future, it will happen. It's not a matter of if, but only a matter of when. That when all these thousands and thousands and thousands, perhaps over a million, Russian, Chinese, Syrian, Saudi Arabian, and so forth, that have come into this nation legally and illegally in one day, one and the same day, bombard the United States with literally thousands in one day, literally thousands of terror attacks all across the United States in the schools, the malls, the churches, the synagogues, and everything else. Your children and your parents, your family, your loved ones, your girlfriends, your boyfriend, your husband and wife is in danger because of these infiltrators. What Trump is doing is righteous and is the right thing to do. But it is those same terrorists and those that support them that's calling the wall and the 
restrictions in immigration, calling it hate. Why do they call it hate? It's because they hate righteousness. They hate truth. They hate life, and they hate Christians, and they hate life, and they hate everything that represents goodness and righteousness and truth. God bless Donald Trump. But I must face reality that Donald Trump is not going to bring in just righteous and goodness, but he will also bring in war between right and wrong. It's ordained to happen. It's going to happen. And he cannot stop the thousands upon thousands that are already here except for to ship some of them out. But he can't ship all of them out because a lot of them are in hiding. A lot of them are under restrictions that even Obama, even Trump himself cannot remove them from this nation because they're under demon-crap protection. we got to face the reality that there's a day coming in the United States that there's going to be bombs and guns and knives directed at us and our families. It's going to occur by the thousands all in one day. Have you not seen the proof that even in South Carolina and uh, Virginia and all across the United States, all across the United States, there are official, known, known terrorist cells that control acres and acres and acres and in some cases miles and miles and miles of land that is fenced in and they even have signs that say that they are from Iran. Signs on the front gate and it's a fortress. And we know what they're doing. We hear bombs inside the gate behind the wall. We hear bombs, we hear guns, we hear machine guns and the authorities know it and cannot shut these places down because they're under demon-crap protection. Are they there for no reason? Are they there in vain? No. Those Islamic camps are becoming more and more crowded every day and embracing those that cross the border legally and illegally. And then let's take the case of what Trump is doing about abortion. Enough said there. You know the truth about that. And then let's take the case of homosexuality. I think you know the truth about that. That the Democrats hate everything that represents God and goodness and righteousness and life and freedom. They would rather, the Democrats would rather see this nation totally totally annihilated by curing the babies, the innocent, harmless, defenseless babies, murdering them by the millions in this nation and across the world, and even funding the abortion in other nations with our money. Stupid insanity. But yet people would say, oh, I will vote for a Democrat because it will improve the economy. That's like saying, I will vote to kill millions and millions and millions of innocent, defenseless babies in this nation and across the world so that I can have $100 more in my pocket at the end of the year. That is selling your birthright. That is selling your salvation. 
And I'm telling you the truth, whether anybody else will say it or not, whether you like it or not, that if you have voted under the Democrat ticket or for a Democrat in the United States of America, unless you repent and confess that that was a sin and, and never do it again, unless you repent and confess, you will not, not inherit the kingdom because that's totally contrary to God. And you will be held accountable for your actions of voting for the murder of millions of babies. You will be held accountable for, for putting your vote in support of homosexuality, in support of abortion, in support of Islam, in support of false gods, in support of Satan is what that ticket is for when you voted for Hillary Clinton or Obama, either one. And unless you repent, you will not enter the kingdom. For there is no sinful person that's going to enter the kingdom of God. None. Unless you repent. Amen. Now let's keep reading here. I'll try not to wander and stray so much. And it says here, verse 22, You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. That is complete opposite of depending on one prayer a decade ago. This is enduring to the end, not turning back, not removing your hand from the plow. But you must still be serving God when he comes. You must still be serving God when he comes. Amen. You've got to endure it to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. Does that say that you have got to stay in one town all of your life? Even if they persecute you and scourge you in that city? No, but talking about fleeing. For truly I say to you that you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. And that has the context of our day and our time. That even in our day and our time, the true Christians, the true followers of Jesus Christ will be hated and despised. Hated. And if you are not hated and despised by religious people and family and friends, then you are not serving God enough to make it to heaven. Because the truth is that if you are a saint of God and only saints will go to heaven, only saints of God without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, and don't say that's impossible, only saints will enter the kingdom of God. And if you are a saint of God, the darkness of this world and the darkness in your family and the darkness in your co-workers, family, and friends will hate you and persecute you, and you will not have hardly any family and friends by the time it's done with if you stay on the right track and get closer and closer to God. Amen. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave or servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, Jesus, and the slave or servant like his master. If they called the head of the house Belzebub or the devil, how much more 
for they are maligning the members of his household, us, the house of God. Therefore, do not fear them. Don't fear that they're going to laugh at you. Don't fear that they're going to hate you. Don't fear what their reaction is going to be. Don't fear those people. For there's nothing concealed that not, well, that will not will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. God is going to shine a light on this world. And God is shining a light already through Trump because what's happening is all these Democrats with a bumper sticker that says uh, coexist are raging in extreme, intense hatred against not only Trump, but against everybody that voted for Trump, everybody that calls himself a Christian, everybody that stands against abortion, everybody that stands against homosexuality, everybody that stands against Islam, everybody that stands against false religion, everybody that stands against false doctrine, they will hate you because you make a stand for truth. And what we see now is that happening more and more and more than ever has in my lifetime. Right now, more than any time in my entire lifetime or even decades before I was born, there is now more hate, extreme, radical hate of the lost people who even claim they're saved. I'll give you an example. That the other day I saw on the Internet that there's a, a Christian woman in Franklin, Tennessee, who owns a, a yarn shop. And she had posted on Facebook that she don't want people coming to her shop who uh, are going to use her yarn in their feminist, radical, extreme demonstration, feminist, demon crap parades against abor- I mean, for abortion and for homosexuality and for all that crap, for all that filth. She don't want those people coming in her shop. God bless her. I support her. I wish she had a website where I could buy everything in her shop if I had the money. But what happened? Because she made a stand against wickedness and for the truth. Now the demons are flooding her Facebook page with with Tons upon tons upon tons of cuss words and hate, extreme hate, extreme cussing, and just cussing her out and hating her and calling her a hypocrite and saying that they are saved. Just calling themselves Christians, saying, I'm a Christian, and how dare you be a hypocrite, and how dare you hate these homosexuals, and how dare you hate people that commit abortion, and how dare you hate people. And the truth is, that they are showing themselves as being the ones that hate. It is not that Christian woman that hates, but it's the demons that hate. It is the demons that's raising their ugly little heads that are coming against that righteous woman follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's being manifested, all right? It's being manifested. A war between, between light and darkness. And this war that's going on right now between light and darkness is more extreme, more radical, and more real than it has been in thousands of years. Thousands of years. I would say it's even more extreme than the Crusades. And that in the Great Tribulation, 
you're going to see blood in the streets, in the churches, in the synagogues, just like it was in the Crusades. Real war between light and darkness. A war between the Islamic communist nations and the freedom-loving nations. A war between the United States and their partner Israel and England against Russia, China, Syria, Iran. Trump is not going to bring peace to this earth. And even Jesus did not come to bring peace to this earth. His own, his own words think not I've come to bring peace on this earth. I'll read it here in a minute. You've got to get ready for the reality of war and bloodshed. You're not going to escape the great tribulation unless you get so blessed to die before then. But other than that, you're not going to escape the great tribulation. Because you're living in the last days and you've got to wake up to that reality. But do not fear them. And do not refrain from telling the truth. Do not refrain from evangelizing and teaching and witnessing the truth of God. Even if they flood your Facebook page, even if they come to your house, even if they call you and email you and call you every evil name in the book, even if they haul you off to jail and prison or behead you, do not fear them. Do not fear the Assyrian. Do not fear the Syrians and the Iranians and the Russian and Chinese armies. Do not fear them. And do not fret. All these things must come to be to fulfill, fulfill Scripture. It's going to happen. I'm just trying to get your mind ready for it. But God is looking for a few good people. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them. For there's nothing concealed that not be revealed. It's being revealed or hidden that would not be known. What I tell you in secret or darkness, speak in the light in public. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Amen. Do not fear those who kill the bodies, but are unable to kill the soul. Amen. But rather, fear him, God, who is able. Here's what Christians don't believe. They read this verse. They go through it so quick, they don't stop to think what it says, but they don't believe it because they've been brainwashed and programmed by the religions of man. They don't believe this verse, that God will, he is able and he will, destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Well, that goes totally, totally opposite of what I was taught as a child. That God would not destroy the soul. That your soul would live forever and ever and ever. That regardless of whether you're righteous or you're wicked, everybody will live forever. You're immortal. Like God. That's what I was taught in church. That's what a lot of you was taught. Well, this verse throws that out the window. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sowed for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart without knowing from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 32, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me, 
before men. I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his dad, his father. Have you ever heard this before? Churches don't preach this. Jesus came that you and your dad, you and your mom, will not get along because of the truth of the word of God. Wow. Have you ever heard this before? I came, this is why Jesus came, to set a man against his dad. I say dad because you're not supposed to call no man your father. That's what the Bible says. And a daughter against her mom. And a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be, not might, will be. Do you believe this or not? You might not want it. You may not want this. But this is what is meant to be. Your enemy will be members of your own household. Why? Something's going to change. And I'm here to tell you about it. Something radical, extreme is going to change. It's going to change everything that you know. Everything is going to change. And that is the revelation of the son of perdition, the abomination of desolation. Because when you see the abomination of desolation and you see the son of perdition, what religion has taught you is the Antichrist, but the Bible doesn't call him the Antichrist. It calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, the Assyrian. It says it over and over and over in the Bible about the context of the last days, the context of the great tribulation, that the Assyrian will come, but don't fear him. And it says that he will manifest himself in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, 2 Thessalonians 2. I encourage you to read 2 Thessalonians 2 later on. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that that son of perdition, that man of sin, what they call the Antichrist in religion, will manifest himself as God. Hey, that's much more than a man standing on the temple mount. Much more. Because a man can stand in Mexico or on the Temple Mount, either one, and claim he's God and claim he's Jesus, but he will only get a few hundred followers, maybe a thousand or two followers. And with these demon crafts, he might even get several million followers in this wicked time. But such a man standing on the Temple Mount even in a physical rebuilt Jewish temple, which is what religion teaches you, will not get no more than just the Jews and a few million false Christians. But that would not win the heart of the Buddhists, nor the Hindus, nor the Muslims. But Revelation 13 and other places in the Bible says that the whole world 
meaning the majority of everybody on earth, will worship him, the whole world, whose names were not written before the foundation of the world. How is that going to be? Say that he is going to manifest himself and reveal himself in the temple of God. Doesn't say in the Jewish temple. Doesn't say on the temple mount. It says he will manifest himself in the temple of God. If we go by the Bible instead of what man has taught us, the temple of God is in heaven, Revelation 11 and other places. The temple of God is in heaven. The temple of God is in heaven. Even if they were, which they're not going to, I know they want to, that doesn't matter. Even if they were, to build a Jewish temple and start the animal sacrifices again, that would not be called by the word of God, the scripture, the temple of God. Because the sacrifices of animals are totally contrary to the blood of Jesus Christ. God would not accept their sacrifices. God would not accept such an uh, a antichrist, literally, temple. God would not accept such a temple. He would not claim it. He would not claim it as his, and the scriptures would not call it the temple of God. The temple of God is in heaven. And the Bible says that we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities in high places, and powers in high places. We've got to realize that the war of Revelation 12 in heaven, just before the great tribulation, just in the days before the great tribulation, Revelation 12 says there will be a war in heaven that Satan and his angels and Michael and his angels will wage war in heaven. They are not up there just for an acre of land. They are not up there fighting over a billion dollars. They are going to wage war in heaven in the days just before the great tribulation, very shortly now, because they are fighting over the very throne of God and the temple of God. That's a repeat, a repeat with what happened with Satan before Adam and Eve, before the Garden of Eden, that Satan, that people call Lucifer, was before Adam and Eve, before the Garden of Eden, waged war over the throne of God in vain, hoping that he would become God. And so the creation, Romans 8, was subjected to vanity and corruption, which we see the state of decay and the result of that war in heaven upon the moon and the planets today. A repeat of that war. So you're going to see the president of Syria, whose name in Arabic means the beast and the lion. His real name, before he, his grandfather changed the family name in Arabic, means the beast. Then they changed it, his name to Assad, which means the lion. And the Bible says he would be given the mouth of a lion. If you read the book of Revelation in Arabic, it calls the beast Assad's real last name and gave in the mouth of a lion, it would say Assad. Both his real name and his current name, both in the book of Revelation in Arabic. So he is an archangel, a fallen angel of Satan. 
a collaborator in the original war in heaven and a collaborator in the next war in heaven over the throne of God. And Michael, the archangel, will be taken out of the way to allow the manifestation of the man of sin to be revealed in heaven in the temple of God. And that sky will roll back just like you've been programmed your whole life. That when that sky rolls back and you see God coming in the sky before the tribulation, the whole world will worship the fallen angel, the archangel of Satan, Bashar Assad, evil be his name. It will win the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Jews, and the Christians, and the atheists. And sooner or later, there will no longer be such a thing as an atheist on this planet because the manifestation of the power of the son of perdition will be so powerful, bringing far down from the sky, healing the sick and the blind and the lame like Jesus did, and showing his family tree. You know the Bible, you never heard this before, but the Bible describes the family tree of Jesus Christ as being Syrian and Jewish mixed. Read it for yourself. Don't believe me. I don't want you to believe me. Read it in the Bible yourself. Abraham was from Macedonia, which is the land of Syria, and he married a Syrian. Then his son Isaac married a Syrian. Then his son Jacob married a Syrian. So the bloodline of the Jews is part Syrian. Read it in your Bible. And guess what? Assad is not only Syrian, but of the Jewish bloodline as well. And for a man to say that he is God, then he must show that he is both Jewish and Syrian, just like Jesus was. And Assad is the only Islamic world dictator on this planet that is beheading people for refusing to say that he is God above all gods, even above Allah. And he's the only Islamic world leader on this planet that believes in Christmas, even though he's Islamic, believes in Easter, believes that Jesus is God, believes that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh to die for our sins, that we should take communion. He's the only one that uh, believes that Sunday is a holy day and cooperates with the Catholic Church to the full extent that he does, that he gives a blessing on Christmas just like the Pope. And yet he agrees with the Buddhists and the Hindus about reincarnation. He's the only dictator that believes in all one, one world religion, all mixed in one, that will win the hearts of the people because of the miracles and the manifestation of himself in heaven. So whether you believe this or not, you've at least heard it, so that when it happens, and that sky rose back, that you would wait a few seconds and examine, is this God Really, God? Is this Jesus coming back before the tribulation, totally contrary to Scripture, totally contrary to the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven plagues? Study the Bible. First seal, number one. Second seal, number two. Third seal, number three. Seven seals. When you get to the seventh seal, you got seven trumpets. Trumpet number one. Trumpet number two. Trumpet number three. 
Trumpet number four. You come to the seventh trumpet, that last trumpet, 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. At the last trumpet we shall be raised. At the last trumpet. Read Revelation 11, where the two witnesses rise from the dead. At the last trumpet, at the seventh trumpet, he even says. Not before the tribulation. So how can Jesus lie and come back before the tribulation? 2 Thessalonians 2 says that about the coming of the Lord and our gathering into him, that that day will not come until the son of perdition be manifested, revealed first. But people don't believe that. They rather believe the religion of man rather than the Bible. They'd rather believe what some false preacher that don't know the Bible taught them, what mommy and daddy taught them. They don't believe that the Bible says that the son of perdition will be revealed first and that he will manifest himself as God in the temple of God. Now, I didn't know I was going to preach that, but I'll go by what the Spirit says. How the Spirit moves. Amen. Praise God. Let's go to Luke 17. Get back on topic here. Luke 17, verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3, be on your guard. Amen. Be on your guard. Watch. Be careful. And it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Where have you ever heard that taught in church before? What preacher has ever said that before? I went to a lot of churches. Heard a lot of preachers and a lot of preaching. At one time in my life, I even went to church five times a week, different churches, for a long time. And I never, ever, ever heard this verse. That's why you've got to read the Bible for yourself. If the brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, underline or even circle that word is. Because that goes totally, totally, totally contrary to the doctrines, brainwashing of mankind, of religion. Because religion tells you that you must always, without exception, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive. Even as your Father in heaven forgives us, you forgive. If you forgive man not, then your sins will not be forgiven. But how does God forgive? Does he forgive every person on this earth without exception if they do not confess their sin and they do not repent? No, God does not do that, does he? God does not do that. But religion teaches you that you should be more forgiven than what Jesus did. That even though Jesus only forgives only if a person will confess their sin, their fault, their transgression, that they did wrong, confess it, 
and repent of it. That's the only time Jesus forgives. The only time Jesus forgives. But religion teaches you that you should be more forgiven than Jesus is and that you should forgive everybody on this earth. Rather, they repent and confess or not. That's what they teach. Is it or is it not what you have been taught? Well, you hear what you hear on Facebook constantly and in the churches of men constantly. But this says, if he repents, Luke 17, verse 3, if he repents, forgive him. And if a man, or if he sins against you seven times and returns to you seven times, and another verse says 70 times seven, saying, I repent, forgive him. So basically, limitless. One verse says 70 times seven, it says seven times seven. It's just a way of saying, it's just a phrase. It's not an exact number. It's a phrase that in the spirit of the law is saying to us that if a person repents, if they confess, if they change, if they're willing to humble themselves and say, you know what, you're right, I did do wrong, I'm sorry, and I won't do it again, then you are to forgive them. But if that person has committed a sin and you address that sin with them, they have offended you and you have addressed that offense with them as the Bible tells you to, and they refuse to admit that they are wrong, if they refuse to confess, if they refuse to repent, according to this verse and some other verses, you are not under any obligation to let that person get away with their sin. You're not under obligation. And I've seen it in my own life repeatedly that God has told me and confirmed to me in miracle, powerful, divine, I'm talking about heavenly, divine, powerful revelations that God has given me in different situations in my life that I did not have to forgive certain people of certain situations. Now, of course, we should be forgiving people overall in general. Our attitude should be a heart of forgiveness and not of bitterness. We should not live in the past, but rather in the present and in the kingdom in the future. We should not be over-judgmental and over-condemning like a lot of people are. We should not take these things to extremes. But neither should we take it to the other extreme and follow men's religions that teach you that you should let people treat you like a dog and even if your husband is beating you up, busting your lip and breaking your bones, that you should stay with your husband. That is not of God. And that is not the will of God. And that's not the spirit of God that tells you that you must endure that. Such a minister, a pastor, or a friend that tells you that you've got to stay with your husband even though he's beating you up, he is not a messenger of God. He is a messenger of Satan. 
There's a lot of people that know the letter of the law, but they don't know the spirit of the law. Amen. So I'm right on target now with the topic for today. Love never speaks harsh, question mark. Can you rebuke? Can you offend? Can you speak boldly? Can you ever rebuke? Or should it always be without exception? Patience, tenderness, kindness, never offending, never speaking the truth that would offend. I think you know the answer to this. Amen. There is a time for rebuke. And here it says that we should rebuke our brother. And I'll give you another example, and we'll close soon. But let's give another example of 2 Timothy chapter 4. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge uh, the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word and be ready in season and out of season Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not, but we're living in this time now, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, Joel Osteen, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, Rick Warren Pope Francis, and your neighborhood ministers, and will turn away their ears from the truth. We've seen that, ain't we? Every time you try to share the truth, they will turn their ears from the truth about the why means, about everything, and will turn aside to myths like the why names, Yahshua, Yahweh. People have been told that the name of Yahshua and Yahweh are Hebrew names of God, but they've not been told that those names came from a Babylonian translation that had the names of the moon gods, the Assyrian gods, the Babylonian gods inserted into Scripture by order of the Babylonian Assyrian kings that they made it law that the true Hebrew name of God be erased from the Bible. This is fact. And that the names of the moon god Allah written in Arabic, Assyrian language as Y-A-H. As Y-H-W-H. Look it up. Don't believe me. Yah, name of the moon god, even Allah, used to be 
spelled, even still is spelled in some regions of the Middle East, as the Yah or Yahweh. And even the Muslims call Allah Yahweh. This is the God of the Antichrist, the Assyrian. These are not Hebrew names. They are Assyrian names. These are myths that people have turned to. And when you tell them that God's name is Jesus and only Jesus, or G and Jesus, God with us, they turn their ears from the truth. They'd rather hear the myths. They'd rather believe all the millions of websites that say Yahweh and Yahshua are Hebrew names than to believe the document of facts, historical facts that you show them. They reject the truth. You can ask them. You can beg. You can be loving. You can be kind. You can be gentle. You can be long-suffering. You can give them undeniable, unrefutable proof. How long is that article on the website? That, law, that article is probably the longest article on the website. Proof after 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 proof that God's name is Jesus, not Yahshua, not Yahweh, not Jehovah, that there's one name. They don't believe this verse. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. None other name. But they don't believe this verse. No other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4, verse 12. But they don't believe that verse. They rather believe that millions of people who are deceivers liars and ignorant of the facts of history and of the Bible. They don't know the Bible, but they want to be your teachers. And the people will turn their ears from all the proof and believe the myths. So easy. Verse 5. Let's go back up to verse 2. Yes, there's a time to be patient. If the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ tells you that this person is willing to listen, this person is willing to seek, this person is willing to study, this person is willing to fast, this person is willing to seek the truth and accept the Word of God through you, then be patient, be long-suffering. Some of you know that when you first contacted me, you did not believe the truth. But you showed a sign that you were willing to seek out the truth. And I was patient with you and loving with you and kind with you. And you have come to the truth through Jesus Christ and through his word, through what the scriptures originally said and still says in English that his name is Jesus. But others... Others, even though I asked them kindly to read the whole article and to examine the proof in fasting, they was like, no way. Absolutely not. I will not read it. I will not consider the proof. I will not consider the evidence. Absolutely not. 
Okay, then. Have it your way. Follow Satan. If that's what you want to do, follow Satan. Even Paul said that he turned people over to Satan. Sometimes you have to do that. If they want to follow Yahshua, which is a Syrian word that means make his name be erased out of existence and never remembered again, then let him go for it, baby. Hope you have a good time in your sin and your filth. No, I don't. But let him go. There's a day of judgment coming. We did our job. You don't have to waste your time and your energy and your strength and let those whining people pull you down and drain your strength because they are vampires and they will suck the blood out of your neck. They will drain your energy. They will drain the blood of Jesus by their legalism. And all these whining people are very, very, very legalistic. Even the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church who preaches against works are extremely legalistic if you examine their doctrines. You must keep Easter. You must keep Christmas. You must keep Sunday. And you must not keep the Ten Commandments of the Seventh Day. And you must not keep Passover. And you must not keep communion. And you must not be baptized. Very legalistic. A lot of do's and don'ts and a lot of working of iniquity and preaching against the Holy Scriptures. Why would we want to sit and listen to that junk? Those lies of Satan. Even Satan uses scripture. But they twist it and distort it so that you would lose your salvation. Telling you you don't have to be baptized even though Jesus said you must be born again of water and spirit. That's not talking about coming out of your mother's womb. For all men and women come out of their mother's womb, you have no choice in that. There's nothing you can do about that. You are born. That's not talking about being born the first time. He's talking about being born the second time. Come on, hello. Born of water and spirit is talking about getting dunked in water. But people don't want to get wet for Jesus. People would rather be dry and lukewarm and couch potatoes and not have to lift a finger for God because the Baptist church says you don't have to do nothing. For God, you don't have to be baptized. You don't have to keep the seventh day, even though the Ten Commandments says it. You don't have to keep Passover, even though Jesus said it. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Just be a couch potato, say one prayer, and go to heaven. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous doctrine. Totally contrary to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Workers of iniquity. Come out of her. Come out of her, my people. Come out of the Baptist Church. Come out of the Pentecostal Church. Come out of the Catholic Church. Come out of these things and serve God and not religion. Amen. Let's turn to Isaiah 58. Oh, no, he's going to Old Testament. Isaiah 58, verse 1.
Well, the Baptist Church hates the Old Testament with a passion. They hate the Old Testament as much as the Democrats hate little babies that they want to murder and stab in the womb. Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry loudly. Well, you talk too loud. You get too passionate. You scream too much faster. Calm down a little bit. Cry loudly. I tell you this, the people are so asleep, we need some shouting. Amen. The people are in their comfort zone. They'd rather listen to the pacifier religion. They'd rather listen to the pacifier Joe Olstein than to listen to the bonus of the unfiltered, unwatered-down gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Cry loudly. I think we need some preachers that will shout. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. People are deceived. They're in darkness and evil. They need to hear the truth boldly. Last thing they need right now is a pacifier. Last thing they need. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people, including the Christians, including those people who think they're saved, including the people who are in the Babylon church. If they are in the Babylon church, they need to hear the truth that they may grow up and come out of their diapers. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Oh, don't judge me. Oh, I'm not Jesus. Oh, you're not Jesus. How can you judge me? How dare you judge me? We have no right to judge. One verse theology. One verse theology. Thou shalt not judge. Satan's favorite verse in the Bible. Thou shalt not judge. The lost person's favorite judge. They tattoo it on their body. I've seen it on their body. Tattooed on their body. A Satan worshiper has it tattooed on his back. I lie not. Even Satan tattoos the word of God, thou shalt not judge, on his back. Literally. Satan's favorite verse. How dare you judge me? Tell me I'm murdering babies. How dare you judge me? Tell me that if I don't repent, that I will burn in the lake of fire. How dare you judge me about homosexuality? When I lay with my partner at night, the only thing I'm doing is loving him. No, what you're doing is committing fornication against God, against your body, and against his body. You're committing fornication and adultery and uh, sinning against God himself and against your body and against everything, against nature itself. And that's the Word of God. And if you don't like the Word of God and you hate the Word of God, that might be your business, but my business is still, my duty, my responsibility is still to proclaim the Word of God whether you like it or not. And we have the right to proclaim the Word of God. We have the duty to proclaim the Word of God. We have the responsibility to proclaim the Word of God on the housetops. And this time and generation, if there was ever a generation in all of human history, in all of human history, if there was ever a time 
to proclaim in public on your bumper sticker, on your front sticker, on your mirror, on your door, and all over your house. If there was a time to put a giant sign up outside in your yard saying that homosexuality is a sin, now is the time to do it. Let them get mad. They're going to hate you anyway. Don't fear them. Don't worry about offending them. Even Jesus said to their face that they are hypocrites, vipers, wolves, and everything else. But love never speaks harshly. That's the doctrine of demon crafts. One last verse. Book of John, chapter 3. John 3. Book of John, chapter 3. Even if it means you'll lose all your business at your yarn shop. Even if it means that you'll lose all your business at your bakery. Even if it means that when you refuse the homosexual marriage wedding cake that you're going to lose all your business and you're going to have picketers out front and they're going to sue you and take you to the Supreme Court, even if you work in the courthouse issuing marriage licenses and they take you to court, even if they arrest you, even if it means you lose all your money and your business and everything and family and friends and church support. It don't matter. For this, this flesh is nothing. This flesh is going to be gone one day anyway. The money will be gone one day. The cars will be gone one day. The houses will be gone one day. The churches of men will be gone one day. That you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And there will be no excuses on that day. Jesus is not going to give you your 10-minute speech. There'll be no excuses. Jesus will have the final word. Amen. John 3, verse 19. John 3, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light, Jesus, has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. They're afraid that it will be revealed that they're not saved. That's why they preferred watered-down gospel. They prefer the pacifier, the Joel Olstein that allows open, unrepentant homosexuals to sit in his church without a sense. Joel Olstein, this is a fact. You can look it up. Allows unrepentant people, Muslims and homosexuals, who do not serve God, who are not saved, don't want to be saved. All they do is come to the church to hear a feel-good motivational speech because they know that in Joel Osteen's church, they won't be offended and their sins will not be exposed. Amen? 
for fear that their deeds would be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as being brought or worked in God. So you must confess your sins to be forgiven. It's more than just saying a prayer. You have to come to the realization that you are lost. You can't just keep saying that I'm saved or I'm going to make it. I'll be in heaven because I've never murdered. I've said I've heard this over and over and over. Oh, man, I've heard this over and over. I know I'll be in heaven because I've never murdered anyone. Have you ever heard that? I've heard it uh, countless times. Or even about their family and their friends. Oh, there's a lot of good people. They, they, I've even heard this. That this one young man said that he knows a lot of good people in this world. And just because they don't believe in God don't mean they're not going to go to heaven. Can you believe that? Even the Pope said that. You'd be amazed how many people who think they were saved, think they're going to heaven, but they also think that you don't even have to believe in God and their family and friends don't even have to believe in God and you'll still go to heaven just as long as you don't murder anyone. What about all the other commandments? What about the seventh day? What about all the other commandments and instructions of the Holy Bible? One verse theology. All you got to do, say one prayer when you was five years old. And it don't matter what you do the rest of your life. Very sad. Very sad. But the truth is, you must confess whether you or homosexual, a demon crap, pro-abortionist, feminist, or whatever your sin may be, whether you've treated people wrong, you must confess. You must come to realize that you was lost and wrong. You must Lay that down and be willing to surrender and change. We all must change. It's not enough to say, but this is just who I am. That's not excuse. That will not get you to heaven. That will not get you salvation. Just to say, but this is who I am. You've got to accept me and love me for who I am. Fool. Total nonsense. We must all change and become a new creature in Jesus Christ. And once you truly, truly, truly put on that marriage ring to Jesus Christ and say, I do, I will be at the marriage supper, Father. I agree. I accept the invitation. I will be at the marriage supper, which means you are willing to get wet. You're willing to submerge and drown yourself in the water of life, Jesus Christ, not only uh, spiritually, but physically. You must be completely submerged in water. This is Bible. Bible. Mark. 
says. I won't turn there right now. Or, but is it Mark six or Mark one? I'm not sure where it's at. But it's in Mark that says that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. So they want to look at one verse, John 3.16, only believe, but just rip out of the pages of the Bible and not read it and not teach it, that he that believes and is baptized will be saved. And of course they want to rip and, and distort and not believe Acts 2.38, that you must repent and be baptized in Jesus' name. Not in Yahshua's name, not in Yahweh's name, not in Allah's name, not in religion, not in your mommy and daddy's faith, but in Jesus Christ's name. you got to get wet for God. Because when you go down under that water, that's more than just repeating somebody else's words teaching you how to pray. It is saying, I'm serious about this. I'm serious. that I'm laying down my life that when I come back up from that water, I have made a commitment to God. I have made a commitment. I do unto the Lord Jesus Christ that I will follow, honor, and obey Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior all the days of my life until the very end, always, and never turn back. You've got to count the cost. You see, people are not being taught this. They're just being told, all you got to do is repeat after me and believe that Jesus is God, and that's it. And some people won't even tell you that you got to believe that Jesus is God. But the truth is that you've got to be willing to repent. You've got to be willing to lay aside your old ways and change to become a totally new creature in Jesus Christ. Laying aside the old ways and the old religions and the old doctrines and the old myths and picking up the Bible and fasting and praying. And if it says that in the Ten Commandments that you must keep the seventh day and not the first day of the week, then that's what it means. And you've got to obey Jesus Christ. And those that say that they know God but keep not His commandments, you are a liar. That's what the Bible says. If you say you know me and keep not the commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. You've got to keep the Ten Commandments. This is not being taught. Billy Graham, people worship him. They do. People worship all around the world, even the Muslims, even Joe Olstein, Rick Warren, Laws people worship Billy Graham because he doesn't teach that you have, you have to, you have to, you have to obey God, keep the Ten Commandments, the Seventh Day, and be baptized. But all you got to do is repeat these words after me. I don't want to follow Billy Graham's religion. I rather believe the Bible. And it says here, verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. Was Jesus going around 
counting the people. You don't have to be baptized. Or was he and his disciples going around baptizing people? Which way is it? And who will you believe? The fact is, I'm about to close now within the next few seconds. The fact is that when you start believing the truth and examining what you believe and turning your life over to Jesus Christ in the truth and in true doctrine, sooner or later you're going to have to leave Babylon you're going to have to leave that baby church, that baby lawn. You're going to have to leave their doctrines and their teachings and mommy and daddy's faith and mommy and daddy's teachings, mommy and daddy house, and you're going to have to come out on your own. And you're going to have to be like a John the Baptist who left the temple. You're going to have to be like Jesus who had no place to lay his head. And for many of us, you're going to have to just sell everything you have and give up everything, even your jobs, even as Matthew did. He was working at the tax table. Tax table. Jesus came up and said, follow me. Matthew got up from the tax table. That very second, left his job, followed Christ. No excuses. No fear. No second thoughts. And you're going to be hated by your family, your church, your friends, and especially the demon crowd. But it's all worth it. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't fear. God is in control. And this flesh is nothing and this life is nothing. What really matters is not whether you live or die, how much money you have or a car or a job or prosperity or friends or family. What really, really matters is that you can be at the marriage supper and you are invited. Amen. You are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, but there will be people that receive that invitation that thinks they would just just come as they are and not have to get dressed in wedding clothes. They don't have to become without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. They think they can just show up with a hose of a T-shirt and enter the marriage supper and be embraced. But we must become a church without spot. We are not there yet. That we must become the church without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, with proper spiritual attire to present, be presented clean and pressed for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, that we may be part of that army, not fearful of offense, not fearful of Babylon and their responses to us. I'm not going to beat this to death no more. I think you understand. I encourage you to go to the website at isawthelightministries.com. 
were doing a reformatting of the website. And so some of the pages will come up very, very slowly. I just ask you to be patient and give the time for the website to load. And especially the longer articles may time may take time for the page to load. Just give it a minute. It will load eventually. And we're still working on the website, getting it reformatted. It will improve. It will speed up. And it will be a better website. So let's give us uh, some more time to work on that. I saw the light ministries.com. It's got over 100 articles there giving you the scriptures, what the Bible says. And I ask you repeatedly on that website, repeatedly, 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 to at least read the whole article, get the whole picture of what the Bible really says from A to Z, from Genesis to Revelation, in prayer and in fasting, sincerely seeking the truth and not just following man. And uh, I invite you to come and listen to the services again next week. Uh, we're here every week live for these services at 2 o'clock Eastern Time every Saturday. And uh, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you may know that I sent out pretty harsh uh, notification before services today because these people think they can just read the newsletter, read the website, but not really serve God. They think they can just not keep the seventh day, not keep the holy days, not give their tithes, not obey God, not surrender their whole lives to God, and still make it to heaven. And I just got to be honest with you, since you're my brother, since you're my sister, since you're my real spiritual family, I'm sick and tired. And I believe God is sick and tired of this hypocrisy, of this hypocrisy of people thinking that they are saved and they're okay and that their salvation is ensured when they do not obey God. So that's what I told them in the newsletter notification before services is that I have sent repeated invitations to, these, to listen to these services. It don't matter to me whether it's live or not, just as long as you listen at some time in the week. So I know different people are in different, different time zones around the world. I understand that. I don't expect you to have to get up out of bed and listen at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, even though that if you do, I'm sure God will bless you for it, but I don't expect you to do that. I understand that you might have to listen the next day or two days later. I understand that. But these other people that live in the same time zone for only one hour difference or only two or three hours difference, and they'd rather be playing baseball or watching football than listening to the Word of God? No. I'm tired of it. God's tired of it. And if they can't take out two or three or four hours to listen to the Word of God on the Holy Seventh day, after I've invited them and invited them and invited them over several years, and they still refuse to listen to the Word of God and take out two, three, four hours of the seventh day to listen to the Word of God? I've had enough of it. And they can just cancel their subscription because I'm tired of the hypocrisy. And God is tired of the hypocrisy. And it's about time that somebody will blow the trumpet and cry aloud and tell the people their sins the way it is to their face 
because they need to be shook up out of their complacency and out of their worldliness and out of their hypocrisy. Amen? Amen. Praise God. But people will accuse me of, like I was accused last night, of preaching hate and not being loving. But they don't know me. They don't know me. I understand we do have a right to judge because there's more than one verse about judgment in the Bible. There's more than one verse about judgment in the Bible. We have a right to judge. But we should not judge people wrongly without knowing the facts. We need to judge with the truth. Make righteous judgment, the Bible says. So I'm going to let you go, and I'm, I'm very appreciative of all the people that did join in for services, even Sister Kiki, even though it's probably what time of the day. It's probably something like 4, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning there right now, and you've been listening. And Johnny in San Diego and Lisa, I know that you'll get to listen later this evening, and others that listen to these services. And Prophet Larry, I appreciate that you're here today. And others, I may not know all of you, your names, but God knows who you are. And I really appreciate also my wife standing by my side, even though uh, darts and thongs get thrown at me constantly. AJ, thank you for your faith and your belief as well. I appreciate my true brothers and sisters. My mother, my own flesh and blood mother is not here today, and I don't expect her to be here ever because uh, to be honest with you, since you're my family, that even my own flesh and blood mom refuses to profess and repent. And I cannot treat my own sons, my own parents. I ain't got no children, but I'm saying, like Eli, he treated his children different than the other people. We can't treat our own flesh and blood family different than other people. If I disfellowship from one, I must disfellowship from the others. No preference. God is not a uh, respecter of persons to treat people differently. So, fact is, we must face the reality that we are going to lose our family and friends. That should not prevent us from speaking the truth. Amen. Stand your ground in the truth. Always stand your ground in the truth. Be willing to repent and confess your sins. I'm going to play a song. Then I'm going to hang up. This is page number one.
Thank you for your patience. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.